You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sticks in the Six here, episode 118, brought to you by the fine folks at the Indiale House, as well as Variety Sports Network. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my wonderful co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. And boys, a ton of Leaf stuff to talk about. Uh, obviously, off the top of the show, we're going to talk about a couple of uh, goaltenders around the league that uh, made some headlines this week. But before we get into all that fun stuff, let's hear from you guys. Alex, first, how are you, buddy? Um, I just watched Alex Kerfoot win the game for the Leafs against the Senators. So I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'd say I'm on, I'm on cloud nine right now. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's been, uh, it's been good. Just, uh, just a busy week. Uh, wrapping it up, watching some Leafs hockey, and uh, we we were treated to two great games in a row. So, um, yeah, I bet nothing, not much else to uh, to chip in from there. Yeah, I know it's been a great week for the Leafs, but uh, Peter, my friend, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Same with Alex. Busy, nonstop, uh, on the go. Can't can't really complain. But yeah, who had Alex Kerfoot as an anytime score in the shootout or in the game, or even had Alexander Kerfoot winning the game on their bingo card? Because I don't think anybody expected that. And as we as they were going through the shootout, I'm just wondering. I'm like. Who's going to win it? And then as soon as he got to Kerfoot, I'm in my head. I'm like, he's going to win it right now. And then all of a sudden, he just scores. And Twitter just went up in flames. Because, like, you know, what is he? 20-plus games without a goal. Gets a shootout winner. And I think even Justin Bourne got a screen cap of Kerfoot's full-on reaction that he was surprised that he scored. And you can see on his face how surprised he is that it actually went in. But you know what? Maybe this is a sign that, you know, maybe he could break out. He just needed some motivation, but good on him. But yeah, you know, a lot of Leafs talk, a lot of Leaf games happening right now. We're getting down to playoff time. So it's just the wonderful time of the year kind of thing. I think for guys that like go on like 20 games without a goal, like shitty streaks like that, you almost need to count like those shootout goals for them just to get the monkey off their back. But um, yeah, I mean, not very often we're sitting here talking about Alex Kerfoot having, you know, the best game of, of his season, but easily tonight, one of the better games that he's had all year. Um, and, you know, just the icing on the cake for him to, to cap it off with the shootout winner uh, squeaking by uh, Sogard there. But um, yeah, before we get into any Leaf talk, obviously, we, you know, if you followed the show, you know, we like to talk a little bit of league talk first and. Um, what better way than to talk about, uh, you know, the most fucked up position in, in sports, maybe when it comes to personalities and that's goaltending. Um, let's kick it off with Jordan Bennington uh, suspended two games for yet another blow up of antics uh, against, I believe it was the Minnesota wild was not Minnesota wild in yeah. Ryan Hartman. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, uh yeah, I mean, I Mark Andre Fleury almost almost took on Bennington. I would have loved personally to see that fight. I think uh, most of hockey Twitter would have loved to see oh, that yeah. fight. But uh, Peter, what what are your thoughts on on Jordan Bennington? Is this you know when, when's enough enough for a guy like this? I if I'm Craig Berube because he's come out quite a bit and he's told Bennington to cut the antics and cut the crap out. 
if I'm him and I'm in his position, I'm not playing him a single game throughout the the rest of the season because of what he's able to do. This guy's a loose cannon. Like the he has the shortest fuse in this league, and the littlest thing will set him off. And it's absolutely quite astonishing because I look at the goal. He's saying that oh Hartman clipped me or whatever. Meanwhile, Hartman scores a goal. He's going to celebrate with his team. Bennington spins around, comes out of his crease, and it's like incidental contact. And he gets upset because he clips skates with him. Like, I, I just don't understand what Bennington is trying to accomplish. Like, he's trying to act all tough and much or whatever. He is, I'm just going to say this, he can dish it, but he is a player that cannot take it. And you see that every single time, because even when he was coming in and he threw that flying punch in at Hartman, team came into his defense and they all attacked him. And that just shows that he, again, he can dish it. He just can't take it. And he's going to talk a big game. He's going to keep on showing that. But you know what? The league and players know what he's what he's going to do and what he's done in the past. And they're not going to take that lightly. And if they're coming at him, they're going to stand up for themselves and just put him in his place. Like, it's just annoying how right now he's gotten, like, a lot of fines, a lot of headlines and everything like that. Suspend him more than two games. He needs to, he needs to know what he's doing is absolutely disgusting. And he needs to cut the crap out. Alex, uh, Henrik Lundqvist on TNT said that, um, you know, maybe it's his way of getting himself into the game and that, you know, Lundqvist, when he was playing, he had his, he had his own routines that got him into the game and he sees Biddington as a guy who needs to kind of get involved in the, in the physical aspect of it to try and get himself into the game. But at what point do you draw the line and say, buddy, like one, you know, this is, this is too much. Well, you can't really lead the question off like that because then regardless of what I say, it's going to sound like I'm disagreeing <laughs> with Henrik Lundqvist about things for the Phoenix goaltender, <laughs> which just doesn't make hey, I don't think I, I've I, I disagree with it. I disagree with yeah. it. Yeah. I 100% disagree Goalies with it. Goalies have routines, but if you're picking fights with everybody, that's not really a mindset. Hey, King King or yeah. not, King or not, your your say doesn't always make sense with all the all the small people. Yeah, no, I I uh, I agree with you guys. I think that I I think that the only way Bennington's going to stop doing what he's doing is if he finally gets taught a lesson by somebody. And you know, who knows? It looks like Flurry wanted to teach him that lesson, but the linesmen were cowards and didn't let him go at it, which I thought was really stupid. Because I don't know when. How often do we see goalie fights anymore? Like, mm-hmm. especially a guy like Mark Andre Flurry. Like, come on. So, um, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I think it's just it, it, like his antics are just so dumb and you, you hit the nail on the head, Peter. He dishes it out, but he can't take it. I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm sick of, I'm sick of talking about this guy. Cause I really just, I, I'm sick of seeing the same old story with him, him doing something greasy and then skating away and hiding behind the refs and not having to deal with it. And then a stupid little soundbite to the media after it's just like, it happens once every once a year, at least. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I would like to see. I would like to see Revo. Uh, go and take one, uh, you know, take it up with Bennington. It, it takes me back yeah. to Peter's, uh, the late Ray Emery, um, and the fight they had, Ottawa Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just remember Ray Emery put up one hell of a fight. And I would have loved to see, you know, Revo go in there and just say, you know what, like this guy needs, this guy needs, and, and I'm going to have people coming at me being like, oh, you're, you're condoning violence. No, I'm saying like antics and bullshit like this is what you need to take out of the game. You have the QMJHL who's going out there and saying, Hey, we're gonna get rid of rid of fighting altogether. And then you have idiots like Bennington who skate around like they fucking own the place. And somebody needs to police that part of the game. And without fights, you don't have that ability to police the game. I think somebody needs to go teach him a lesson. 
And maybe it was Marc-Andre Fleury. I've never seen Marc-Andre Fleury fight, so I don't know what, what kind of fight he would have yeah. put up. But uh, me personally, I would have loved to see Revo come in there and just fucking give him one. Um, I think it would have been, you know, a hell of a show for, for the fans. And I think, you know, maybe maybe at that point, Bennington looks at himself in the mirror and says, man, I got I to gotta shut up or put up because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going out there and, and acting all tough and shit. And then as soon as somebody's coming at me, all of a sudden, you know, you know, I'm hiding behind the refs mm-hmm. or throwing water bottles down the tunnels or whatever the hell else he, you know, BS that he's pulled over his career. So for me, if I'm Barube, I like, I'm sick and tired of it. I, I, if I'm, if I'm a St. Louis blue, I'm like, you know, stay in your fucking crease. Let us, let us protect you. That's our job as defensemen, as forwards. That's our job. Quit taking your fucking mask off and making it about you. And that's what it is. He's making it about himself. And I think to me, that's like, you know, the, the least team, friendly thing that you can do as a goaltender. Barube is already sick of it. I mean, back in December when he yeah. won his last dance, he pulled his last dance. Like, I can't even remember what it was because I like to forget about him as quick as they happen. But, um, you know, if you, you go back to what he did in December, Barube was like, listen, dude, like, just play goalie. Like, <laughs> you're our yeah. goalie. Like, the guy, the guy had to ask his own goaltender to play his position. Like, that's... Like at that point, you know that Barube's pissed off with him and kind of fed up mm-hmm. with his antics. Like if you're asking your player just to play his position and to not treat the game like it's a fucking playground, I mean, yeah, that's like you can tell he's sick of him, and I, I would be too if I was his coach. I'm gonna say this too. Like, at what point, like, do you look back on Bennington's career early on and say, yeah, it's no fucking wonder that this guy bounced around so much. Like, there's a reason why teams didn't want to bring him up. And I, I think the attitude has stuck with him. I, I think it's mm-hmm. been an attitude issue from the beginning because yeah. talent wise, it's never been an issue. I don't think talent was the problem. Um, I think when it comes down to it, it, you look at him and you say, man, this guy's, this guy's like the wires cross every once in a while. And he goes on this, this like run around thinking that it's, it's a goddamn circus. Like, at what point do you just say, Hey man, maybe, maybe you take some tape out and strap this idiot to the fucking post and just say like, stay in your net. Goldberg, the goalie, stay in your net, make the saves. That's all we want you to do. Um, like the Simpsons episode where Millhouse is tied up to the crease. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what the answer is here, but I think uh, at a certain point, the blues are going to be sick of it. Not just Barube. I think, you know, Armstrong and everybody involved yeah. are just going to say like, this is, this is, too bad we traded away Ville Husso or didn't didn't sign Ville Husso. Um, but anyways, uh, on to another goaltender. And uh, we talked about this, you know, I've, I want to say a couple months back and, and obviously a couple weeks been back. A, was a, it might have been a couple weeks. Anyways, um, it's been a conversation, obviously, with a lot of teams pulling out of their pride night and not, you know, not celebrating, not wearing their jerseys and. This one to me was a little disappointing as a former Leaf and a guy that I thought was a fan favorite here in Toronto. And, mm-hmm. and you know what? To some, obviously, by the comments on our YouTube channel, um, to some, <laughs> he still is a fan favorite to some. Um, yeah, for a different reason than his nice yeah. smile and his little for, salute after every yeah, win. Yeah, exactly. Um, but James Reimer today decided that during the San Jose Sharks uh, Pride Night celebrations, he would not take part in in uh, warm-ups, would not wear the jersey based on uh, – based on his religious beliefs. Um, I know what I have to say about it. Uh, before we get into it, Alex, do you have anything you want to, to share? I'm just going to go to one point of this whole thing because we've talked about this. We, we just talked about this a couple months ago with Provorov, and we've talked about it. We, we talk about it once every couple months, I think. I think it is at this point. Um, 
I'm just going to circle down to one thing, though, and that's when I read Reimer's statement at, at the very end, he referred to being gay as a lifestyle slash uh, an activity. That is why there is absolutely no reason for the, oh, it's his opinion. We got to respect his opinion argument here because I'm not respecting the opinion of somebody who's too ignorant to do their own research on topics like this and still in 2023 thinks that your sexuality is something that you can pick. And I I said something along the lines of that on Twitter today, and I had a little tongue-in-cheek sort of, you know, add-on to that at the end where it's like, if if gay people chose what that chose their sexuality, chose to be, you know, chose who they would be attracted to, why would they why would they do it knowing how much hate gets thrown their way and how yeah. many people deny their existence and deny, you know, deny their right to just be themselves? And you know, people are gonna come out come after this and say, Oh, we don't deny their 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 beliefs or their ways to be themselves. We just don't want to shove down our throat. And the reality is it's not shoved down the throat. It's not shoved down anybody's throat. It's a it's a, it's a gesture of uh, of community and a gesture of solidarity between the between the gay community and the LGBTQ community and 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 the allies. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know what else to say that I haven't said a million times on this show already. But if you're still calling, you know, being gay a lifestyle in 2023, there is no need to respect your opinion because you are too ignorant to do the research yourself. And you're too afraid to face the music that you might be a homophobe if you're saying something like that, because you can't look in the mirror and and understand that people are not picking and choosing who they're attracted to. It's the way you're born. And if you if you if you're not willing to take the little bit of effort just to understand that little detail, understand what queer people are telling you, it's then you're not worth having the argument with. So, Peter, anything you want to add? Yeah, I'm just going to keep this short. Um, he says he has no hate in my heart for anyone. I've always tried to treat everyone I encounter with respect and kindness. And then he goes on to say, um, choosing and I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. That same highest authority in your life, the Bible, strives to teach respect, kindness, and love for one another. When you don't show love and respect for a group that's clearly and constantly persecuted and just hated on every single time, you don't show support for them. The The colors and the rainbow and the flag is meant to show support for the community. Simple as that. I, I, I don't understand what's so hard for these people that are that are against it or saying that all oh, the NHL is becoming so woke and everything like that. It's a sign. It's a it's a symbol of solidarity. Just like these people who wear like wear the you know same camel jerseys for military night. You're showing solidarity for them, but you're not showing solidarity for the LGBTQ community. Come on. Like enough is enough. Like stop using religion as an excuse because it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm going to quote two great comments actually that I saw on Twitter. This is from Derek uh, Newmeyer. He said in the Bible, Jesus frequently hung out with sinners and staunchly defended them from persecution by others. Even from a purely biblical standpoint, this kind of sentiment just doesn't make sense. It's pretty clear how Jesus would have felt about this issue. Next one's from Steve Dangle. He's allowed to believe whatever he wants, and that's all in quotes, followed by some of the least Christian language ever is unfortunately common and disappointing response. 
Hope you don't repeat those things at church tomorrow. You're going, right? The the hypocrisy in all this is clearly evident. Get off your high horse. Stop using something as an excuse. And what what is so wrong with just wearing a rainbow collar to show support? <clears throat> like, literally. It does no harm whatsoever. And thank you for coming to my TED Talk. We, the other thing, too, is we just... I don't know. It, it, it's just, it, it's annoying that we got to keep having this conversation. It is. And it, it, it's annoying that we have to keep reinforcing this point that all it is is a show of support, that wearing the jersey is not going to make you gay. And, you know, I've said this, I said this when we talked about Provorov, and I've said it every other mm-hmm. time we've talked about homophobia on this show. You know, if you're going to use a book that's so outdated, so unbelievably outdated as the Bible. You can't use one thing from that book and then bypass the whole, you know, wearing fabric, cotton fabric is a sin, swearing is a sin, premarital premarital sex is a sin. Tattoos. Yep. All these things, you, you know, these, these quote-unquote Christians will live their lives sinning in all these ways imaginable from that from the first edition of the Bible. And they just think that they can go ahead and Take the sexuality thing, take the gay thing, and be like, ah, eh, no, 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 that one I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide behind my religion for. No, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't, you can't hide behind religion. Just say you're a bigot. That's really what it comes down to. So I'm gonna start with saying after we did, after we did the whole Provorov talk, and I, I cut the clip and threw it on YouTube, and and basically, you know, had the blowback of all, every you know faithful fanatic that's out there. Um, there was a, a video I saw where, you know, it was somebody from the community that said, look, I don't need people standing up for me and pushing the jersey on to people that don't want to wear it. And I'm going to say this. I, I, I completely agree in the sense that, no, you cannot force these people to agree with, you know, or, or like what, you know, um, what anything to do with your sexuality. You can't, you can't force these people and you never will. My thing is... And it comes back to what you said, Alex, is that if you can, you can change the narrative on it. And the narrative right now from, from Reimer's statement is that they still believe that it is a lifestyle and that it's a choice. And that's where the narrative needs to change. The narrative needs to change on the fact that like, this isn't something that you wake up one day and you say, Hey, yeah, you know what? Today I'm going to be gay. I'm I just, I just chose today that I'm going to be gay. That's not how it, that's not how it works. Right. And like, that's the part that's so like mind blowing to me. And that's the part that's so frustrating. And I, I posted a little YouTube short this afternoon when the news broke and, and just to kind of, you know, pump the socials a little bit. And, and it was like every God loving tree hugging piece of shit that lives out in that world decided to come out and jump in the comment section. <laughs> and my thing was like, one of them's like, yeah, God preaches that you should love thy neighbor, but doesn't mean you have to agree with it. No, but wearing a jersey doesn't mean you have to agree with it either. It, it yeah. all it does is preach inclusivity, and that's the part that I don't understand. Like, you want to you want to fall back on your faith and you want to fall back on your religion, then follow follow what what they preach, and they preach to love thy neighbor, no matter what they are, no matter who they are. Love thy neighbor. And Isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? I'll be honest. I, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. 
never read the Bible, don't care for the Bible. Um, and, you know, one day they might come out with a fucking sequel to the Bible because that's that's where my mind's at with it. I think what they do with that, what they, when you fall back on words so strongly, when you, when you make it your everything, you, you, there's, you live your life for experience. You live your life to grow. You live your life to become a better person. And not one of these fucking bigots that have commented on the video, not one of these fucking bigots has changed anything. In fact, they've used whatever life experience they have. And obviously it's some shitty life experience to become worse people. And I've been watching uh, the problem with John, uh, with John Stewart on Apple TV. I don't know if you guys know about that. Fantastic show. Yeah. Huge John Stewart fan. One of the smartest guys out there. I'd hate to be one of the, like, you know, um, Subjects one of the politicians that he, he sits there and interviews because mm-hmm. I'd be sweating my ass off. And he's the, the one thing that was brought up in a uh, he did an episode on the problem with racism. And we're not going to get into that. So don't think we're going to get into more politics here. It's 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 a it's a spectrum, right? There's the spectrum where you're like, yeah, I, I'm 100 percent a bigot. <laughs> I, I'm homophobic, blah, 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 blah. Then there's that middle part where you're like, hey, like I got a gay friend, but that's you trying to cover up the fact that, you know, there's still some bias there. And then there's the part where you're like, okay, um, I'm not, I, I'm just going to hide my bias. I, I have bias, but I'm going to hide my bias. And the fact is that if you're not, if you are not part of the community, you are on the spectrum somewhere. You are on the spectrum. Regardless of if you believe it or not, you're on the spectrum. Um, there's room for you to improve. There's always going to be room for you to improve, to make it better, to create conversation, to change the narrative. But the second you sit there as, as an NHL player, and one of the comments is, why do we need to bring politics into hockey? Because the people that aren't wearing the jerseys are the ones bringing the politics into the fucking game. Yeah. There's no politics with this pride night until Reimer decided to speak up and blame it on his religion, right? And there were politics as soon as they started putting the pride shit down our throats. Which is politics when you wore the military jerseys. I was just about to say for years. I was just about to say there's no politics. There's no politics when you're wearing a military jersey when there's wars constantly going on around the world, no matter what. This goes back. This goes back to this whole like, and and we're not again. We're not going to get into this, but like anti-vaxxers and when they didn't want to be they didn't want to be ridiculed for not wanting to get vaccinated but the second that somebody got vaccinated they ridiculed them and it's the same shit happening here hypocrisy you can't sit there and say don't bring politics in the game when you are the one bringing the politics in the game religion is politics politics is tied into religion if you don't know that watch the american presidential race every goddamn year what is it based on the fucking religion like I'm sick and tired of this bullshit and all this all this scapegoating and 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 gaslighting and bullshit. Like, just put on the fucking jersey and go out and yeah. skate 15 seconds. I'm just sick and tired of people. You, I'm not really sick and tired of the religion so much as I'm sick and tired of the people who use that religion to be shitty. That's really all it comes mm-hmm. down to for me. I mean, you know, if you have faith in something and in you having that faith in whether it's, you know jesus christ himself or whether it's whether it's your own god that you have in your head if you have faith in something even if it's not a person just a belief then that's great if it brings you comfort that's great you should be able to believe in whatever you want to believe in but the moment that you start using that belief 
to as a smokescreen for the shitty beliefs you have deep down inside of you that aren't even factually correct. You're just using it to, to cover up bigotry. That's where my issue comes into play. I, I, I just, I, I, I can't stand the people who say, oh, it's my religion. I'm sorry. It's like, yeah, it's also your, like I said before, it's also your religion not to swear, not to have premarital sex. It's your, it's also your religion not to wear fucking cotton fabric. You're wearing it right now. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, it, it's just it's so, so tiring. And it's, it, it's one of those things where my heart really just hurts for the community because, you know, it would, it, it would suck to have to look at the comments left by all the fucking bulls and the bulls, Jesus, the bots and cowards and all the people that hide behind no picture, no name, bullshit like this. I like, I'm not going to lie. If I was, if I was part of that community, I'd probably would have stopped watching hockey right now. I'd see yeah. what people are saying every single time someone takes a stupid stand like this and decides to use the religion to drag politics into the sport and decide to use the religion to cover up the fact that they deny a, a group's existence. And if I was part of that group and g- seeing all the people who not only support the support this like those comments but they go out of their way to like parade them around like there were also there were also comments on our video of people saying that they're going to get a brimer jersey and a proverov jersey now and they didn't even know who they were before exactly and if and and at that point you're pretty much just saying out loud you hate gay people and you don't want them to be a part of your sport and if i was gay and i was reading that i wouldn't want to watch hockey so I have tons of respect for the people who are still watching hockey, still part of this sport mm-hmm. and still trying to make a difference because they're, they're basically getting shot at over and over and over and over yeah. and over. And the bullets are just, they're, they're dropping right off their body and they keep going. So I respect people like that to the fullest extent. It's and also I, ironic I will... too. I just want to add one more quick thing. And like, as I alluded to, they were going to use their Twitter platform to talk about facts about the community and everything like that. They literally, they later on say hockey is not for everyone until everyone is comfortable playing, working, or being a fan of this incredible game. What does that say? It shows that we are a hell of a long way to go from where we want to be as a community and accepting people into the sport and letting them just be a fan of the sport. There's like, I, I still fail to under, understand what is so wrong by, by bringing to light of what, what, this community has gone through how they constantly get persecuted against and continue to get all this hate and harassment on a daily basis. And yet you have, you have, you're basically having the right to say, Hey, we don't want these people in here, but what gives you the right to say that everyone's included in here? I I, I don't understand why you're what you want to control who's able to watch and who isn't able to watch hockey. Are you doing the same thing for football? Are you doing the same thing for baseball? Probably you are because you don't want anybody into the sport that you feel like it's going to be tarnished or it's going to be too woke or whatever. Again, just stop. Like you're you're just making yourselves look even more stupid as it is. I will clarify too that I like my issue is not with religion, and if it came off that way, I do apologize. But my issue is with no, when you not. lean on it, when you lean on it as a crutch to do horrible things. And I do know people mm-hmm. that have leaned on on religion to do horrible things. And because that, it makes me question a lot of, a lot of people that lean on it. Um, But anyways, we're going to jump away from this. Uh, Obviously one of the more serious openings that we've had in in a couple weeks, gentlemen, Mm -hmm. but before we jump over, it needs to to be talked about. It needs to be talked about. Um, But before we uh, jump into our leaf talk, just a quick word from our amazing sponsors over at the NDL house. Hockey is back and with it. So are the Maple Leafs. Getting ready for a night in 
or watching the game at home with the gang, what better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at the Indiale House in Toronto? With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto, at Bay and Bloor, the Biroteca location, they have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food, and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the junction at Keel and Dundas with 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps, Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers, perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag Live Indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for, for everyone, from a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream pilsners and easy drinking options, Indie Ale House is the go-to for game day. Visit www.indialehouse.com to place your order today. Well, boys, uh, obviously some big, big talk around the Leafs. Um, first off, the Marlies clinched a playoff spot, and the Marlies should be getting some backup here uh, with Ryan uh, Furberg. Torberg. Torberg. Yeah. Ryan Torberg. Yeah, have fun yeah, with that name for the next 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Um, as he signs a three-year entry-level contract, um, as well, of Chinnikov and Topi Niemela um, will also be coming over to play uh, with the Marlies as well. So, boys, what are your thoughts on the Marlies and where they're going with uh, this trio coming to help them out? They're going to be more worth uh, keeping an eye on, I think, for sure. I mean, I already like to follow the Marlies just to see how their prospects are doing. But, um, you know, this is a big ad, big couple of ads for them. And uh, I think they're only going to get better from here. And who knows, we might be seeing another Calder Cup run. Peter, what are you thinking? Yeah, great additions. Obviously, you know, you got a balance of everything. Niemela with the two-way game on defense. Torberg with the aggressive or not not necessarily aggressive, but, you know, that in-your-face type of style to be on the forecheck and shoot the puck very well and the creativity from of Chinnikov. So basically a trifecta of, like, you know, different types of aspects joining the Marlies right now. So that's a huge get for them right now. And obviously they're going to be coming in and out of the lineup every now and then right now, especially in the playoffs because you want to rely on the bets. But next season, seeing them in North America is going to be really, really fun. Yeah, I think Niamela is going to be the big guy that uh, everyone's going to keep an eye on. But, uh, um, Alex, it was you that had a great piece that came out about Torberg uh, and, and just being a late-round pick and, and what that means to the Maple Leafs, especially, you know, having those homegrown guys within the organization and, and, and you know, coming up and, and obviously now getting an opportunity. I mean, he's had a hell of a season. This is just kind of icing on the cake that he gets a chance to play in the AHL as well. Yeah, I've been a fan of Swerberg. uh Pretty much ever since the COVID season, when he had when he got his first look with the um, uh, with with the Yukon Huskies, uh, and he had seven points in fourteen games or something like that. I'm not gonna lie; before that year, I didn't really know much about him. But what I did know is that Dubas does not often trade into a round at the draft unless there's a player that he really wants, especially when it's in late rounds. We saw him do it with Pontus Holmberg in 2018, and uh, we saw him do it again for Torberg in uh, 20 in 2020. As not 2020 in 2020, 2020. <laughs> um, tongue twister. Yeah, and uh, when when Dubas does that, you know that there's something there's something to that player. And honestly, I see a lot of similarities between Twerberg and between uh, Holmberg as is. I mean, they both got super high hockey IQ. Uh, Twerberg is a, a relentless forechecker. The guy like hits everything in sight. 
Uh, and he's not a big guy either. He's only 5'11", I want to say maybe 190 or something like that. So I'm excited to see what he can do because I feel like if he shows up and he and he produces with the Marlies to a respectable rate anyways, uh, I think he could be a guy that the Leafs look to call up next year because you can assume that, assuming some players on their forward core uh, leave after next season, you've got uh, you, you've got Pontus Holmberg, who I think will be pressing for a full-time job at the Leafs next year. You've got Bobby McMahon, who might be in that same role as well. Hell, Matthew Nyes, he, he could be pushing for a full-time job at the team next year. So I think that once those guys graduate, uh, they're going to need some more prospects to step into their roles that they left and, uh, you know, black aces to call up throughout the year. And I think Torberg could be a guy like that just because you can put him in the bottom six and he can, if he's not going to score, he can at bare minimum be a hard four checker and fit right into that identity that they've been trying to build these past few years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh like you said, not not the biggest guy, but uh, definitely throws his body around and and his speed is something that uh, you know might not be talked about enough. Uh, you know, if you watch some of his games from UConn, it just the way he can separate himself uh, from the defender is just it, it's it's incredible what he does. So uh, definitely, definitely some great ads for the Marlies as they as like I said, clinch the playoff spot and will be going on a playoff run of their own, and that's always good news for the big club as well when you can see your AHL team making that push. Um, he's consistent with or without the puck. I will say that because he is very consistent. Yes, he is very consistent. Uh, and, and as we're talking about pieces that we've done for the hockey writers, um, you've all, uh, Peter, you did a recent piece on Morgan Riley and heating up and, and, uh, how they need, need him to kind of step into, step into the Morgan Riley of before to, to kind of make a, a strong playoff push. Now here's a guy who took him 35 games, I believe to get his first goal of the season. Mm-hmm. He has two in his last three games. Um, definitely looking like a little bit of a, a different Morgan Riley. But what are your thoughts on, on you know what he's done since he's come back from injury? Yeah, to say that this was a down season for Morgan Riley is an understatement. I mean, we, we it was very glaring at the, from the start because you saw some bad habits. You know, passing when he should shoot, shooting when he's passing. You know. Bad, bad power from the point where it's getting blocked. Nothing's getting through traffic. But now we're seeing a whole different and rejuvenated Riley. And I'm going to go back to the bubble when I wrote like, you know, a piece about Jimmy VC being on the edge or on the verge of losing his roster spot. And then he comes out and scores two goals in one game. It's kind of the same situation right now where I wrote about Riley and then he comes out bursting offensively, shooting the puck a little bit more because we saw two great snipes back to back against you know, the Carolina Hurricanes and Colorado Avalanche, that's what they need more from Morgan Riley to find that uh, consistency offensively. And I was looking at some, like, some of the underlying stats too. Like he's been in the bottom half for most of these stats this season and last season. And that's not what you want considering you just paid him $7.5 million for the next, you know, seven, eight seasons right now. So for him to try and find this offensive game and even just a little bit more consistently defensively, because I thought these last two games were his best game defensively. Yeah, some hiccups here and there, but still being paired back up with TJ Brody was a really great sign that he's able to find that comfort level again of a play, of a player that he's used to playing alongside. So the fact that he's, you know, simplifying the game a little bit more, not cheating defensively, joining the rush and making smart plays and pinches and even better shot selection. That to me was the biggest thing. The fact that his shot selection is there right now, plus a little bit more power behind it. You can say that the injury affected him as well. Obviously, it takes a while for a player to get back up to speed, but there were still some concerns that he needed to try and find his groove 
sooner rather than later. And looks like right now we're finding it or we're seeing O'Reilly down the stretch that he's going to play very well. And hopefully that carries over into the playoffs because didn't quite have the best finish last season either, if I recall, but at the same time he showed up in the playoffs when it mattered. So hopefully he's on the right path right now. Alex, pretty crazy that uh, at 29 years old, this guy's got 35 points in 53 games, and we're talking about a down season for Morgan Riley. And you guys know I've criticized Morgan Riley as getting his point shots through and what that means mm-hmm. for the club. But, I mean, where are we at with Morgan Riley? Like, is he still the guy that we go to as the number one? Or, you know, are we starting to see a little bit of a shift where maybe he's taking a little bit of step back with with in, in terms of responsibility based on the acquisitions that the Leafs have made on the back end? I think it's just one of those things where for Morgan Riley, it is what it is. We know what he is at this point. He's a he's a good offensive defenseman who has his struggles defensively. He was signed not just for his points, but for his leadership. And I know you don't want to sign guys to big contracts for their leadership, but face it, he's the longest tenured leaf. He's been here for a long time. Jeez, excuse me. Um, he's been here for a long time. And I, I find that he's he's sort of in the same position as he was three years ago in the season that got postponed for COVID, where you know he's he, he's had his he's he, he spends a lot of the season in a in a position where there's a lot of discourse around him, and you know oh should the Leafs trade him? You know what happened to him? He, he you know and he's kind of getting the Jake Gardner treatment now. I find if you look at his season by season you know, the way things have been going for him offensively, 2018, 19, 72 points in 82 games. The next two years, 27 points in 47 games, 35 points in 55 games last year, 68 points in 82 games this year, 35 points in 53 games. So it's almost like a little bit of a pattern for Morgan Riley. And the reality is, I just think that, you know, you can say that you can't have your 7.5 million defensemen um, getting load managed or getting put into less pressure situations because you can't trust them defensively, but that's the way it is right now. And the Leafs need to win hockey games, bottom line. So if, if sort of giving him less minutes, giving him Luke Shen to play with, um, maybe putting him against some of the, some of the, the other teams, lesser competition, if that's what it's going to take, then fine. That's that, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, you guys know that I, I've never really sat on, on Morgan Riley as a number one, but I do think with the acquisitions they've made, they can they can kind of take a little bit of pressure off of him. And I think that's what he needs moving forward. And, you, I mean, you nailed it, Alex. He said, you know, they signed him not just for his points, but for his leadership. And this guy, this guy's been here through the ups and through the downs, through the dark seasons uh, prior to Austin Matthews. So he knows he knows how, how low this team can go. Um, but he's also been there as part of the solution as well. So, not taking anything away from this guy. And he is very offensively minded. And I know my, my father-in-law always jokes with me and says, you know, maybe it's about time we, we try Morgan Riley on forward. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm not totally against it because he's going to get more open shooting lanes as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's his biggest downfall is he's the last man back on the blue line, takes a shot, hits the shin pads of the opposition, and it's going back the other way. And I think that's it's it's magnified because of where he plays in the lineup. He's a guy playing on the first pairing. His mistakes are going to be magnified because the players he's playing against are going to go back and score a goal. It's the same thing, as you said. It's the same thing that Jake Gardner used to go through when he was on the top pairing with, coincidentally, Morgan Riley. 
Um, so it, it's 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 interesting in that in that sense, but um, at the same time, like I mean, as I mentioned, we're we're talking about a down season where the guy's averaging, you know, more than half a point a game as a defenseman. He's been injured, so you know the consistency hasn't been there. Uh, he's had to catch up at times this season, and you know, really with the with the shifting of of you know the lineup constantly, like he's had a different D partner almost almost every other night. So. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not super disappointed in his season. I think from a scoring aspect, I think we expect a little bit more from him and that's just going to be about getting pucks on the net when he gets his opportunities. I, I think as long as he shows up in the playoffs, I don't care what happens during the regular season. He's traditionally yeah. been a guy to show up in the playoffs. So I'm willing to give him a bit of a break for now. I, mean, I, I would argue goal in game seven too, aside from what happened with Tavares getting his goal called back, but he, he showed up and it scored a key and timely goal possibly, but I mean, the infamous pick. <laughs> yeah. The infamous pick. So he does have it in him. He does have the drive and, you know, will to do whatever it takes to try and win. I'll say this come, come playoff time. I find Morgan Riley steps up his game physically mm-hmm. and that to me, be the difference maker i think if he can play that physical game as well i think uh you know we're talking about a different guy here but um because you brought up when it matters yeah yeah because you brought up the pick i want to bring up officiating and i know we talked about this last week and i know we've talked about it 1500 fucking times this season but the officiating against carolina was fucking god awful jesus Um, And I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a page out of Fred Van Vliet's book here and and just say Kevin Pollock was shit was absolute dog shit garbage uh, shouldn't have a job as as an NHL official and holy crap that is he the yard penalty at the end of the period was absolutely fucking horrible that was the that was the worst display of officiating I think I've ever watched ever and he was standing right there there was absolutely no reason to call that goaltender interference and that was literal seconds after Achari got smoked by um, Puliyarvi. That's what makes it even worse is the fact that it happened right after the Puliyarvi and Achari incident. I mean, you know, if if either of those plays happened isolated, yeah, you'd say it's a bad call, but it, it wouldn't be something to lose sleep over. But the fact that they happened back to back, it's like wow. They, like they just continued to do themselves. They literally did it after Keith was yelling, I'm being irate on the bench. I think but, that that was a retaliatory thing. But then again, what's Robert calling the game as it is? But retaliatory, I mean, that, that, if, if in fact, retali- if it was in fact retaliation by the official, that to me is a fireable offense. You can't have retaliatory right. calls. And, and that blatant, that's, that, that's the thing for me. Like, and, it's and just so coincidental of, of how it happened too. Like, obviously, uh, Achari gets hit high. Keith is yelling at him, and then all of a sudden, there's a call that is where your Yarncroke is clearly trying to stop. And then all of a sudden, you call that goalie interference on the softest of calls. Like, but, but on the top it's just of amazing. all of that, Keith came out ahead of the second period and had you know a good conversation with Kevin Pollock. And still, he just kind of shook it off and said, "Yeah, it's a penalty." Like, that's not. I, I'm absolutely mind blown at this point. Like, what what needs to be done when it comes to officiating? And I'm glad, you know, somebody put out that video of Kyle Dubas at last year's uh, GM meetings and, <laughs> yeah. and just kind of laughing yeah. about officiating. Ah! Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> officiating. We're yeah, everything's so, but, great with officiating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
those little like th- those little oh. they they almost sounded like uh Kawhi Leonard. They almost sounded like they almost sounded like coherent versions of Goofy's little chuckles. The- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do want to bring up some like positive news afterwards. Um David Alter tweeted out according to Sheldon Keefe, Achari had a good day. Um was not diagnosed not with a diagnosed with not diagnosed with a concussion. So that is really good sign. Now, I, I was also very optimistic considering the fact that Leafs PR set up for precautionary reasons. So yeah, usually yeah. it's just airing on the side of caution. It probably wasn't serious because he was able to get up on his own accord and you saw him like you know, move his jaw around kind of thing. But at the same time, I, I, I just don't understand how you could call that. Let blatant high sticks go. Not just in, I, I can't remember if there was in that game, but like in previous games before and other games, not involving the Maple Leafs. And I, I'm curious to know what is going on in Gary Bettman's head right now, because not much, if man, not much. You're probably right. But at the same time, it's like if he has the audacity to come out with a straight face and say the officiating is great once again, then how are you able to call a goalie interference where said player that got called for goalie interference is literally stopping and like it it looks like he got brushed by a feather and the slightest of movement just basically said, oh, yeah, penalty like. Make it make sense. Like it's absolutely disgusting. And you know what? If this happened in the playoffs, literally beer cans would have been thrown on the ice. It would have been the New Jersey game, but it was being directed at the refs. I honestly think that's what probably would happen. It's going to be like the Jays game or like the call against Texas. I was at that game. You were at at that that game. game. I know. Unbelievable atmosphere. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. Like literally (laughs) the officials are going to be the deciding factor of a game. And it's going to be about them. It's not about the game. And and I think Fred said it too. It's all about them. Let the players play. Call it as it is. And stop getting in the middle of it. Stop making it about you. Like you, you, these officials are saying that, oh, officials are getting a bad rep. Well, you're the ones making the bad calls. You're putting it on yourselves. Just make the call properly. All and I'm even today, say, even tonight against the sentence, there were some bad calls. It's just like, make it make sense. All I'm going to say about officiating, because I, I honestly, we talked about this last week. I don't want to get into it. I, I'm, I'm kind of sick and tired of yeah. talking and sounding like, you know, all, all the comments are going to be, you know, you guys are homers. It's just the least. Well, it's not. It's a league wide issue. And and all I'm going to say is that I truly, truly, truly believe, and I think the league itself would benefit from having officials have a 10 minute press conference after the game. Questions can be asked, answers can be given, rebuttals can be then rebutted. Um, and, and I think at at that point, that's the only way you're going to solve this issue between the disconnect between whether it be media and fans and, and officials or officials and, and players, there's a disconnect there and something needs to happen where you bring that all back together. Because right now, like the league looks like it's in disarray when it comes to officiating, the officials look like they're in disarray when it comes to officiating. And at, at a certain point, I'm wondering if they even know what the rules are anymore. So I don't have anything else to say on that. Uh, did you guys have anything more or you want to move on? Move you just on. said that the officials don't have don't have a clue what the rules are. Maybe they should go to school and have take a course of what it be or like the rules and everything so they're caught up in what it what each one means. Should be like a driver's license where every five years you need to get recertified. Yeah, yeah. I'm all 100%. for that. 
you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I said, Alex, you weren't on the, on the show last week, but I said to, said to Peter, like five years ago, we had obstruction hooking and obstruction tripping. And like, where did that go? And then we had, and then we had diving and, and where did that go? Like, it it seems like it lasts for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden they're just like, ah, you know, it is what it is. Embellishment. Ah, we'll call it for a year. And then, you know, people forget all about it, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe you need to be recertified. I, I, I don't know. All for um, anyways, we talked about Achari. He's doing well. That fourth line of Achari Camp and, and Zach Aston Reese. I mean, man, boys, it looked it looked good. It looked good. It has looked good. I think Achari's the the, the exact piece they needed to kind of bump the lineup into the uh, into the shift that they needed. I'm not a huge fan of the eleven and seven. We had twelve and six tonight, which was nice to see. But uh, Alex, your thoughts on that fourth line with the add of of Cookie? No, he's the. I think he's honestly one of the best fourth liners they've had, like ever. <laughs> honestly, like, and, and when I say ever, maybe you can shorten that to in the Matthews era. But it's just they've been so. He's been so good on that fourth line, and I said it the other night. Every time he's on the ice, he's noticeable. Whether whether he's making a defensive play or he's forechecking hard or throwing a big hit, he's doing something to make him noticeable. And I think we said it when I said it for sure when they acquired him. He's the type of guy that they need to proceed. They need to do well in the playoffs, and he's the kind of guy that I think of on the Bruins teams. Like I like I said a couple episodes ago too. He's a guy on the who I think about from those Bruins teams uh, that eliminated the Leafs. Just hardworking, relentless, and the type of guy to not go down without a fight. So I think he's been awesome down there. Peter, your thoughts on on the addition of Cookie and and what it's uh, what it's meant to that fourth line. It makes them, it gives me hope that we actually have a competitive fourth line that could go up against Tampa Bay's. It really does, considering the fact that, you know, we saw how much, and I keep on saying this, we saw how poorly the fourth line was when they went up against Tampa Bay's line of Belmar, Maroon, and Perry. Yeah, they still may not be, have the size, but they have the ability to, you know, counteract that physicality because they got the speed they got skill but they can still hit they got that overall package that makes them dangerous and that to me is what's going to make this line very successful and you know what i'm just going to give a props to shout out to zach asteris who's like he's had multiple opportunities but for him to get that two goal game against carolina and then you know crush a bile steal with that clip i was that was just absolutely fantastic I mean, like, what better way to celebrate a two-goal game than crushing a bio steal? But I, I, I think with him starting to find his game offensively, him getting his looks, Achari being that presence, David Camp with the two-way game, I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, Achari so far in 13 games, he's got three goals. He's averaging almost 13 minutes a game for the Leafs. Um, on top of that, the guy's got 10 block shots and 43 hits. Now, 43 hits in 13 games that also puts him 14th on the on the Leafs in hits and I would bet money that by the end of the season this guy is going to be number one uh on the Leafs in hits um you know more than Luke Shen with with Luke Shen I think with Luke Shen there look at the minutes played look at the minutes played I sure yeah Achari's at 43 hits through 13 games our leader right now is Zach Aston Reese with 134 hits through 63 games. Average it out. I, I could be wrong. Zach Aston Reese might uh, might you know might uh, might hold down that uh, that fort up there. I mean, <laughs> Justin Hall's number two, but um, 
I, I just I feel like Achari's put everything he has. Obviously, if Achari misses significant time to end the season, like that that kind of what I just said is a moot point. But you know what you know what I mean? If he's if he's mm-hmm. in there, if he's playing hard, if he's getting those 12 minutes, you're gonna see this guy right up in there in the top three at least. So, I mean, you could do just go the just go the easy route and combine all the hits from St. Louis and Toronto, Vancouver and Toronto, and you have Achari and Shen number one, two on the team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could do it. I like, like to that make it difficult, though. I like to make it difficult. <laughs> I like to make it all about the Leafs. Forget what they did with their old teams. I like to True. make it about the Leafs. Yeah, and even Shen to eleven points. I mean, eleven points, eleven hits in three games played. Yeah, and I know we're probably a, going to get into that big very one, soon. A big one on Sebastian Ajo. Yes, a big one. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, Luke Shen, his hits on Puliyarvi and and uh, Ajo were kind of the standouts. Um, in his return to Toronto as a Maple Leaf for the first time since, what was it, 2015, they said? 2014, I think. Or, or 2014. Anyways. I think that was the year that he got traded, but either way, yeah. It's been yeah, a long it doesn't time. really matter. It's been a long time. Luke Shen returned, uh, father of a new, a new little one, mm-hmm. and uh, got back in the game, and, man, he did not miss a beat. He looked good. He uh, looked happy. He looked excited. And even his post game with uh, Mark Masters, he just looked uh, like a like a kid drafted by the the Toronto Maple Leafs all over again. So, Peter, what were your thoughts on his first game back in Toronto and, and having Luke Shen back in the lineup and and uh, playing a significant role? Oh, the human eraser has arrived. I mean, let's face it: when the intensity and uh, physicality is going to amp up, Shen's going to be there, laying the bone crushing hit, and the way that. It- he doesn't hit for like intent to injure or obviously that's not part of his game. We've known it for, we've known it for quite some time when he, like from the 2008 era up till now, every team that he's been on, he makes a very timely hit and he's smart about it. That's those are the smart hits and plays that are going to win you games and change the tide and momentum because that energizes everybody, fans, the team, everything. And the fact that he did it perfectly where he just put, Puts his arm out, kind of like stiff arms it, but just blocks Aho on on the boards, just crushes him, and even uh, on that revenge hit on Puliyarvi with him, and then even John Tavares getting in on the hitting at, on after that back to back hits on Puliyarvi, that was kind of entertaining as well. But yeah, I've been, I've uh, like even his first two games when he was on the road trip uh, before he went back home, I was absolutely in love with his game. How still complete he is as a defender yeah it took some time he was put in a poor position to succeed with the maple Leafs, but this is who he is defensive minded physical tough to play against this is what the maple Leafs needed so glad he's on this team alex your thoughts on the riad of luke shen to the maple Leafs lineup yeah he's uh he's been an absolute treat to watch so far um he's He's the kind of guy that you can just tell watching his interviews and hearing him talk about being back in Toronto, how much he how much he loves it here and how much he wants to win here. And, you know, it's like the guy has been reading everything people are saying about him on Twitter. And he every night he goes out and he does something to get get the fans excited, whether it's a big hit or, you know, clearing the front of the net or just a strong defensive play. Uh, Shen broke up a strong two on one opportunity for Ottawa tonight that got me really excited. Um I think as long as he's used properly and not overused, kind of like what the Leafs did with Lubushkin last year, I'm praying that they, uh, 
uh, they use Shen properly, and I think they will. And I just want them to. I want them to get reps. They got a lot of defensemen. They might go eleven seven some games. Might go twelve and six others. I just hope that Shen is in the often more often than he's not because or in the lineup more often than he's not. I should say because uh, I just think that he's the type of guy that you know whatever regardless of what the numbers say, if you have him on your team in the playoffs, you've got an advantage. Let me just say this: when they go eleven and seven, if they were to in the playoffs. That's to me where you can throw a guy like Riley maybe up in that up in that fourth line mix and just try and tie him in in some areas as a forward. Get Luke Shen some reps. Um, you're not overplaying him. I loved I loved the uh, I loved the the decision to put him with McCabe. I thought that was a great uh, great pairing. Um, but yeah, I, I I love the out of of Luke Shen back in the lineup. It's exactly what you need for playoff time. You get that physicality. Um, you get a guy who's still got a hammer of a shot too. Um, if you watch him get a clapper from the point, man, that thing that thing will whistle by you. Uh, not not one I'd want to stand in front of, but um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I think uh, you know to get Luke Shen in there, it, it's a it's a big piece. I know there was a lot of speculation all season long that he was going to end up in Toronto. I think it was the perfect fit for him. And uh, you know we talked we talked to Jay Rosehill uh, a while back, and he said you know this guy was just looking for a place to play at, at one point in his career, and now look at him a two time Stanley Cup champion, and a guy that uh, is going to step into the Leafs lineup and hopefully hopefully bring them some playoff magic uh, at least in the first round, anyways. But um, before we jump into tonight's game, we do have a little post game analysis as well. I want to talk to you guys about goaltending. Obviously, Joseph Wall was called up today. Uh, um, Sammy was out uh, as he's expecting a child and, and you know, not 100%. But game one, game one as we go into the playoffs, I think we talked about this uh, in our preseason episodes as well. But Alex, who you got going game one? Samsonov, and it shouldn't be a debate at this point. You just, Sammy's played better this year. That's all there is to it. I know this is bad timing because Murray just dropped a 920 save percentage despite letting in four goals, which says a lot. Um, Murray played phenomenal tonight, but um, Sammy's flat open better this year. He hasn't really had any cold streaks. He added one cold streak in like December, January that lasted four games. And aside from that, he's been pretty consistent. So I think that regardless of what Murray's accomplished in the past, you can't really name him as your game one starter based on what he did six years ago. So Sammy's net to lose right now. If he starts to fumble, then I'm, you know, it makes me feel good to know that we, the Leafs have someone who's been there before. Um, but yeah, it's definitely Samsonov's net right now. Peter, I, I'm going to assume that you agree that Samsonov's net, but I want to hear what you got to say about it as well. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And, you know, you guys know me. I was like, even you, Forbes, you were on the like, give Matt Murray a try kind of train thing, you know, give him that chance, give him that opportunity to succeed. And you know what? For the most part, I've been pretty happy with this play so far. Yeah, the last latest stretch hasn't been great where he's allowed four goals against. But you know what? For him to come back from like injury riddled seasons, you know, already facing backlash from like, you know, not necessarily the fan base, but there were many critics, many critics in the media for him to somewhat have a decent bounce back season. I'd say that this is a win for Murray and a huge boost of confidence, no matter what that being said, as I'm so a big fan of his Samsonov has been the better goaltender. I mean, stats prove it, you know, the fact that he, and the fact that they may get home ice advantage, Considering how Samsonov has been thriving in that situation this season, where he has like eight, what what is he, eighteen two and two, 
is his record on home ice. And, yeah. That is absolutely impressive. He loves the crowd. And you know what? Any any reason to see a Matt, uh, Ilya Samsonov post-game celebration interview in the playoffs winning a series. Alex, you know you talk I've I've seen you talk about him uh, his post-game interviews on Twitter and even on here quite a bit. I'm sure you would love to see his comments and takes after winning his series, especially on home ice, how that how his smiles and everything are gonna be off the charts. Um it, 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 you just got to go to him. Simple as that. And he has been the better goaltender. Although I have been happy with Murray, Samsonov is a guy, no doubt about it. Well, I'll make it the obvious trifecta as well. And, and like you guys said, uh, you know, this is something we talked about in the in the the preseason uh, uh, episodes where, you know, I, I 100% I was all for Murray. I mm-hmm. believe all of us agreed that Murray would take the take the helm at the beginning. But by the end of the season, we'd be seeing Samsonov as the starter. Uh, he's just on a bigger prove-it deal, in my opinion. Um, and on top of that, I think he had more to lose. I, I, I think Sam, uh, you know, Samsonov is a young guy. He's still got a lot of hockey ahead of him. Um, you know, Murray's Murray's 28 years old. And, and in saying that, I, I'm not disappointed in what we've had from Matt Murray at all. And I think the train's still chugging here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 28 years old. He's played 23 games. He's got a 13-7 and two record. And and a sub three goals against and, and uh, a, a save percentage over, I believe nine Oh four. So um, I'm not, I, I'm not butthurt about, you know, this guy, this guy coming in and being that, that one B I think, you know, looking at it now, you've got, you've got a, a pretty damn good tandem when you, when you're considering what you have going into the playoffs, Samson has played out of his, out of this world for the most part this season, he's had a few hiccups as well, but um, as you mentioned, Alex, uh, great game by Murray tonight, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But to know that you have him as your as your one B, I mean, you can't really sit back and 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 be worried about goaltending uh, at this point in the season. And and I think um, you know Samsonov is gonna gonna have an opportunity here. And this is as we've as we as we've said all season long, it's a prove it season for Samsonov. I think uh, right now he's proving it, and uh, come playoff time, that's that's gonna be the big test and. And I'm excited to see what we've gotten in, in Ilya Samsonov. Um, with that said, let's get into tonight's game, Ottawa. Um, the Leafs have, have put up a few great games over the last uh, last week or so here. Uh, as we mentioned off the top of the show, Kerfoot with a nice uh, nice finish to, to get the win tonight in Ottawa for Matt Murray against his former club. But uh, Peter, what did uh, what did you see uh, from the, from our buds this uh, this evening? Uh, let me go back to when the Maple Leafs side Kelly Yarncroke and how <laughs> the media, Alex, you know where I'm going with this. Um, how everybody's saying, "Oh, you're giving 2.1 million to a fourth liner." Keith tried putting Yarncroke in the in the preseason with Matthews and Marner, and he looked pretty comfortable. You know, I think in one game he got two goals, and both were assisted by Matthews and Marner. Got in on the action on that as well. Um. Those two goals tonight are a reason why they brought him in because he has the ability to move up and down the lineup. He's got a Howard server shot and he's already having like basically a career season right now. Um, you know, I think this is his career high in goals right now with 14, not 14, 17 right now. Yeah. His previous high was 16 and he's already matched his, uh, the same point total in 28, 17, 18 with 35 right now. So it's absolutely amazing to see what he's able to accomplish 
getting that opportunity to top six. I think there was a little hesitancy because, you know, you see, look at his numbers and it's like, oh, it's only secondary scoring kind of thing. Third line results. But man, those two shots, especially, you know, the uh, the one timer from Matthews on that beautiful feed to put them up four two. Ultimately, it's, it's meaningless at that point, but it was a four two goal. Shows that this guy can wire it. He can keep up with the best players on the team. And if they need a top six player where, you know, bunting isn't great or Kerfoot isn't the answer, I'm all for putting Cali Yarncroke into that spot because he's playing really well in that top six. And if there's one thing that he should do, he should get more looks in there. Simple as that. Yeah. And I mean, not only like we talked about Yarncroke's shot from the beginning of the season, but uh, it's also made Matthews into quite the playmaker. Um, yeah. as his assist totals uh, continue to, to climb. But um, Alex, your thoughts on tonight's game, um, the 5-4 shootout win for the Maple Leafs over Ottawa Senators? Yeah, I mean, I people look at the fact that, you know, Murray let in four goals and the Leafs choked two-goal lead and stuff and act <clears> like <throat> it's, a, it's a game that they got to fix all these mistakes in. But they're on the second half of a back-to-back. Ottawa plays every game against the Leafs like it's their Stanley Cup final. I think everybody was expecting this game to have some fireworks. And you know what? I'm just happy that they pulled out with the win. They got both wins on a back-to-back, one against Carolina, one against Ottawa. So you can't say you can't say one's a measuring stick game and one's not. I mean, Carolina is one of the best teams in the league, and they beat them convincingly. Ottawa always gives them a hard time, but they found a way to get the two points. Uh, like Peter said, I loved Callie Yarncroke tonight. I thought he was awesome. Um and just overall, I think Murray had a strong bounce back game as well. Like he really, really kept them in the game tonight. And I think that him allowing that last goal, I don't think that's really something to be looked at as a concern. I think Ottawa was really pushing for that. And, um, you know, kudos to Sheldon Keefe for call, for uh, getting that, um, for getting that, or uh, for success, geez, for successfully challenging that uh, offside call right there because who knows if that goal was allowed, Ottawa may have scored again and won the game in the final minute there, and then we'd have to sit through Mm -hmm. two days of discourse around Matt Murray and the Leafs and all that. So, you know what? I'm just happy they got the win. It felt good, especially against Ottawa of all teams to put it away against them. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to see how they respond on Tuesday against Florida or the Islanders, one of those two teams. <laughs> yeah, who knew Who knew that uh, the, the Sens and the Jets both had uh, something in common in, in that they play the Leafs like it's their Stanley Cup. But, um, yeah, it's uh, a good win, good team win. Um, you know, I, I think every point right now is important, especially being so close with Tampa Bay. You want home ice advantage regardless of, of the fact that you already know you're playing Tampa in the first round. Um, but yeah, I think it was, uh, it, it was a good team effort. You know, they, they, they let, let up a little bit in the third. And I think that's why you saw, you know, Ottawa come back and tie it. But at the same time, there's a lot of good things to come from it as well. As you mentioned, Yarn Croak's, uh, career high in goals, uh, Sam Lafferty played his 200th career game, albeit only a handful with the Maple Leafs. Um, but, uh, and, and Matt Murray got a win against his former team and there's, you know, get that monkey off your back. You've already played Ottawa now and you, you know that you can beat them and, and, uh, having that, uh, having that now, you know, you're a little bit more confident going in there against your former mate. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a good team win and, and good to see them pull it out and against a lesser, lesser foe, as, as we've mentioned many times on this, on this podcast, they like to play down to their opposition and, and this time they were able to, to, you know, squeeze one out. So, um, aside from that, boys, I'm dwindling, dwindling a little bit here, uh, with the old, mm-hmm. uh, the old second bout of COVID. So 
Um, anything else you guys want to throw in there before we, we shut it down for episode 118? Get well soon, Forbes. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Get well soon. And just one little quick note about the draft. Connor Bedard. Uh, Connor McDavid had a 2.55 goals or point per game average in his draft year. Connor Bedard is now at 2.57 with 69 goals. Nice. There you go. <laughs> well, boys, as always, uh, thanks for joining us uh, this evening for episode 118 of the podcast. As always, big shout out to the NDL House for sponsoring our wonderful show. Big shout out to Variety Sports Network for continuing to allow us to go live here uh, as part of the uh, podcast network. And if you haven't yet, go to the sports podcast group and vote for Sticks in the Six. We're one of 11 nominees for the best hockey podcast alongside uh, Missing Curfew, which is, you know, it's a big one for us as well uh, with a couple NHLers running that, former NHLers, I should say, running that one. Otherwise, uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter. You can follow Alex at A Hobson Media. You can follow Peter at P. Barracchini, or you can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes, or you can check our show out down at the bottom. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Sticks in the Six. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Check us out on Instagram and TikTok and every other social platform as well. You can check us out. Uh, our, this episode will be on all the streaming platforms in the next uh, next couple of days. But otherwise, it's here on YouTube. Until next week, that's it for us here at Sticks in the Six. Yeah.